Hi, and welcome to How to Ruin Dinner, conversations from the university. I'm here with this year's co-host, James Hayes. James, you want to introduce yourself? Yes, uh, my name is James Hayes, uh, <laughs> philosophy major, and uh, excited to go a little outside of my uh, comfort zone and talk about uh, pilgrimages. Yeah, we're going to talk with Brandy Dennison, who has been here before. So thank you for coming back, Brandy. And maybe you can introduce yourself and... I'll, I'll just start by saying we're going to talk about pilgrimages today, as James introduced, because it's of interest to me, let's be clear, because I just came back from walking the Camino de Santiago of Compostela, so it's very much in my mind, and I knew Brandy uses pilgrimages, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, as a kind of theme for your world religion course, comparative religion course. So you came to my mind immediately. So I hope we'll talk about where pilgrimages originate kind of thing, how all traditions have them, why they're important and emblematic of religions, that kind of question. So thank you for coming, Brandy. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Um, and so, as Mary said, um, I'm a professor of religious studies here at UNF. Um, and I like to think about um, uh, all sorts of things related to religion, but relevant to the topic of pilgrimage. I like to think about how people think in, about sacred space and the ways that sacred space can both create religious identity, but also can be a source of conflict um, among um, different religious groups that try to lay claim to that space. Yes. I, I mean, holy sites are interesting in and of themselves. And in this case with pilgrimages, we're also talking about the preparation to holy space, like that activity, if this were philosophy, we'd be talking about practical philosophy versus theoretical. Um, and in this case, with religion, we're really talking about practical religion, it seems to me, this experience of walking to the holy site. It is in the journey. Okay, the cliches that I hate. It's the destiny. It's the journey, not the destination. But in this case, with pilgrimages, it is as much about the activity um, as it is getting to the holy site. So I, I guess we can start anywhere in there, but um, maybe we should start with this idea of a definition of religion <laughs> that I feel like we go over all the time, but never sort of gets old this idea of rethinking what our definition of religion is, especially as it's relating to this kind of ritual activity or what I would describe as kind of practical religion. Yeah, so um, thanks for putting me on the spot. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, but um, there's lots of ways that we can think about religion. And um, when I teach um, pilgrimage and I teach religious studies to um, to students. We start with more of a like exploration of what the students think counts as religion, um, and then we begin to interrogate where um, 
those ideas come from and also interrogate what sort of things are left out um, of those definitions of religion. So for me, um, what I find interesting about religious studies is less about the process of definitively declaring what something is a religion and more about the thought processes people go through in order to like differentiate things from being religious or not religious. Um, and also the meaning that is attached to that. Um, because, um, especially in the context of the United States, where um, some forms of religion are constitutionally protected, um, we have a real need as um, people who live in the United States to interrogate and wonder what it means when we say we protect religious freedom, what kind of religion, what gets protected and what gets left out. So in the relationship to pilgrimage, one thing that I often pose my students, um, the question I pose my students with is, um, is a trip to Disney World a pilgrimage? Um, and oftentimes their reactions are, no, of course not. Um, but we can start thinking through what do people do in order to go there and why do people go? And why is it such a um, significant place for many people around the world to go to Disney World? And what sort of um, moral values are being um, attached to Disney or going to this place? Um, and what um, activities do people do there? Of course, a lot of people get married at Disney World and a lot of people aspire to, to marry there. Um, and it gives us a lens through thinking through how um, travel and how intentional travel to specific places um, in order to perform um, major rights in a person's life um, can then be enfolded into those ideas of religion, religious practice, and pilgrimage. Yeah, and, and we can't forget economic resources, which in all, I mean, every, every uh, pilgrimage associated with religious sites also costs a lot of money and time and effort. So there's resources, that allocation of resources is huge um, and, and worth thinking about as well because it's so defining. Um, when, when, you're, when you're thinking about how religion functions to create meaning in people's lives, which you just kind of alluded to as mar marking important moments. Do you think of pilgrimage as a rite, as sacramental? How, how do you talk about what it is in terms of sort of not its function, but its definition? So um, the um, one working definition that um, a lot of scholars rely on is some version of what I will say now. That a pilgrimage is a round trip journey to a sacred site, usually a shrine, that um, people carry home mementos to mark both the time and the space of their journey. So um, some of the components of that are um, that it is... Um, something that separates a person from their everyday life um, and that they're both going someplace and returning. There's a really strong sense of embodiment, um, that they're moving their bodies in some way, um, and also a really strong emphasis on material culture um, or materiality. So there's a place that they're going to and there's also generally things that they're taking back with them. And that 
um, that like the physical things that they're taking back with them um, are mementos that then can become um, their own part of their own um, practice at home or a memory of the time that they went on this um, pilgrimage. Um, and um, um, the other thing that we can think about too is like what then constitutes a shrine um, because then we have to um, think through what is a shrine and how do we know something is a shrine. Um, and typically when scholars think about shrines, they think about them as being a place that's demarcated as being um, set apart um, or um, somehow sacred that maybe it's um, constructed as uh, um, in, in homage to an, a sacred event that happened. Maybe it's constructed in honor of an important religious figure. Um, maybe it's marking a miraculous event. Um, and in some cases, maybe it's an imitation of a shrine that exists elsewhere. I wasn't thinking of that, but that reenactment is something that I also talk about quite a lot. It's it's um, it's not just the 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 reenactment of a particular, uh, although it may be set up as a particular prophet's or a holy person's um, journey. But in that moment, it becomes that person's, the, the person doing it embodies it to go back to your embodiment so that it is transformed from a reenactment into an enactment that is in and of itself a powerful action for you. So you're not make believe, it's not make believe in any way. It's transformative. In, and certainly when you talk about pilgrimages, um, the language of repentance and revitalization um, is prominent in the thinking about almost every pilgrimage, religious pilgrimage I know of. I mean, this idea of re-embodying oneself as one maybe is imitating or seeking healing. And often the healing is psychological as, as much as it is physical. If you go to Lourdes, um, not everybody that go to, goes to Lourdes is on crutches, right? So that there are these activities where it seems to me important that it is, uh, becomes one's own. Yeah. Uh, so what you said earlier about the memento, I think that's really fascinating, and it kind of goes into uh, what you're saying about people going to Lords and all that stuff. Um, I would maybe kind of personally define like a memento like as a, a memory or a sense of healing that you bring back with you, but you specifically said that uh, pilgrimages involve materialistic uh, mementos. So is there generally a, a division there? Can you count like, you know, a, a memory of going to, you know, memory of being on the pilgrimage, a memory of being at the holy site and count that as the materialistic or does it have to be a materialistic? I'm memento? so glad that you brought that question because um, there's also, this is another way that we can kind of push back against that um, embodied definition of pilgrimage. Um, cannot somebody go on a spiritual pilgrimage that does not require travel. Um, could somebody, for example, go on Hajj, which is the um, Muslim pilgrimage that is a requirement of all Muslims that are able. Um, 
could they go on Hajj in their mind? Could they um, set up a Hajj-like um, scenario and meditate um, on the Kaaba, the um, mosque that um, people go to? Um, in fact, there were um, Muslim mystics that argued such a thing, that um, you can um, complete the meditative task and the spiritual renewal task of um, pilgrimage without physically being there. Similarly, um, Protestants, um, it, it, Protestants being the sect of Christianity that um, formed in reaction against Catholicism, um, Protestants did not like the idea of um, doing something on earth in order to gain one's salvation. And so pilgrimage for Protestants was really um, um, a, 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 a thing that they were saying absolutely no, we don't do, and no one should do. Um, and yet, one of the foundational texts, a, a major text for Puritans, um, which is like an even more extreme version of Protestant, um, was something called the Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah. And it's a narrative of a person who's going through life and experiencing sort of these actual metaphors for real life tests of one's faith um, in order to re reach their final just destination, which is salvation. But the narrative lens is a pilgrimage. Um, and similarly, um, especially in um, um, the light of, of COVID from 2020 to 2023, a lot of religious practice moved online. Um, and so then we could ask the question, can people visit these sacred sites um, through the internet? Um, and um, what are they doing when they do that? And um, th then we can also ask that real question of um, what if there's immaterial things that come from um, a pilgrimage, would we still want to count that as a memento? Um, and oftentimes pilgrims do come back and talk about their story um, and share their story with their communities. Um, and we could definitely think of that experience of sharing their story, sharing their um, mode of transformation as being a memento. Um, one person in particular I'm thinking about is Malcolm X, um, who, um, when he went on Hajj, um, he like was starting to separate from the Nation of Islam when he went on Hajj. But when he went on Hajj, he had this um, complete shift in his way of thinking about Islam and about um, the um, segregation of races and came back with a really powerful narrative of um, his vision of a unified human race through Islam. Um, we could consider that as a memento. Um, and um, it had a lot of power throughout his community. Absolutely. And, and the word that comes up to me when you're saying that is integration. So he's integrating that experience in, in himself uh, and others maybe like him. And that spiritual or at the very least meaningful experience would elicit a certain feeling or, or uh, internal sense that you can keep open by, you know, uh, regaling people of your journey and, uh, uh, you know, talking about it and, and remembering it. Having that memory itself could be the memento sort of thing. Yeah. And you can, I mean, traditionally you have been able to, as... It, it, within a community for one person to make the journey for other people, that they take the, the intentions of others with them. They are um, 
given money by others. And in that process, especially if these are long or complicated journeys, um, they take their whole village, as it were, with them. So it, it works. The memento is carried in both directions, in carrying intentions, if we call those mementos. But certainly intentionality is a major part of it. And sending missives home um, along the way. Um, but can I, can I go back to that word pilgrim? Because uh, one of the funny things of walking the Camino is th that they call you a pilgrim, which as an American, you know, I'm looking for my black dress, my little <laughs> white wimple. And, I mean, pilgrim is such a particular word in our culture. And, you know, I guess we're coming up on Thanksgiving, so that's suitable. But to be called a pilgrim and have that word pilgrim be a living, you know, modern vocabulary word out there was really fun. It took me a while. I started calling us communistas because somehow pilgrim just was too weird. Um, but um, in what way were those first, um, you know, we think of the first Thanksgiving pilgrims. In what way did that trip constitute pilgrimage? I know you're not American history, but... Oh, well, no, I mean, um, that is, like, my jam. Okay, um, good. Um, and, I mean, um, so first, the Puritans were a broader um, group of... Um, and, and the Puritans that ended up in Massachusetts were um, even, a, like, a sliver or a sect off of the Puritan movement that was happening in England. Um, the... Um, and then there are the separatists, um, which is separate from the wider Puritan movement. So the wider Puritan movement was located in Boston. Um, the people that we call the pilgrims um, were the separatists, and they were around communities in Plymouth, um, which geographically is really quite far from Boston and um, what was ha at least at the time. Um, the Puritans were really invested in reforming England, um, and so. Um, that's where we get the language of John Winthrop's The City on the Hill, um, that we're going to become a, such a shining beacon and such an example that England can't not but also convert to our way of Christianity. In contrast, the, um, what the group that, were, that we call the pilgrims or the separatists, um, they didn't like the Puritans and they didn't like what the English were doing. And so they're like, we're just going to do our own thing. They were thinking of their journey as an errand into the wilderness, very much like the um, book of Exodus talks about um, the Hebrews moving into um, Palestine or to the Canaanite, in, into the Canaanite, uh, the land of the Canaanites. And when they met native, native peoples, they were reading that through the lens of these are just like the Canaanites um, and we need to fight them in order to establish our kingdom. And so they were thinking of themselves as on this religious journey for God in order to establish the kingdom of God um, in North America. And so they were self-consciously writing about their trip as this like um, sacred journey that they were doing for God. The difference is, is that they weren't going to go back. Um, it was to establish a kingdom. Right, and the holy site is, I mean, this is back to what we were talking about before, the holy site is uh, not yet there. It is yeah. to be. 
Um, and that is quite a difference between going to a sort of Catholic idea, a Roman Catholic idea, that the holy site is invested um, with this power and this grace, and you are going to participate. in it. And that's quite different than thinking you're going to go create this holy site and, and not go back is another is another piece of it. So it, it really is quite a different kind of pilgrimage, um, but does fit neatly into what you're asking before. Can you have a pilgrimage of the mind? Well, certainly that was this expectation that we're going to build this undeniably holy, sacred spot. That That's quite a lot of faith in, in all kinds of things, right? And it also lends itself really well to the um, narrative of hardship that you were mentioning, that often pilgrimages require, um, especially in the Christian tradition, a great deal of sacrifice. Um, And that could be financial sacrifice or um, physical sacrifice that um, um, death is, was expected and like quite likely. Um, And in the like sort of Christian tradition, if one dies on an errand for God, then um, they've proven their holiness. Um, and in the Muslim tradition, um, the pilgrimage to Mecca at varying times in history was terribly difficult, um, especially before um, um, plane travel. And um, there was a real possibility that a person could die. Um, but they, if they And died, was often undertaken... At an older age, precisely because maybe one couldn't afford to re- be that risky um, when one had a family or when one was running a business, um, so that that risk. And certainly, that's true, um, as I understand it, in a lot of Buddhist uh, pilgrimages. That that enlightenment um, can be established through these journeys, but is best undertaken when other concerns have already been um, eradicated or at least diminished. Yeah, or um, when one's closer to To, death um, themselves. Um, There's a a pretty famous Buddhist pilgrimage in Japan um, on the island of Shikoku, um, which consists of walking around um, the island, which is um, a thousand-mile trip. Um, visiting 88 temples. Yeah, I'd love and, to do that one. That's my I next know. one. That's <laughs> Right? Yeah. Um, but it's um, the Japanese that take it typically are elderly women um, who um, are often walking with um, large photographs of their framed photographs of their loved ones that have gone on before them. And so they're doing it in honor of um, their loved ones and also just sort of um, like using that as a chance to meditate and then also become like like more accepting of their own um, uh, death that will be coming soon. Um. Right, right. Well, one one of the uh, things I noticed, and I think you you and I maybe mentioned this when we were t- prepping for this, um, just that act of walking and being physical all day long and the physicality that um, doesn't allow you to worry about your ordinary life in the same way was really striking to me. I don't, I don't know what I thought I was going to feel walking 10 hours a day, um, but it, it was quite amazing to have all of your ordinary concerns just kind of drop off. You, you Number one, you couldn't do anything about them. 
And number two, you were busy, like putting one foot in front of the other. And so I do think pilgrimages are uh, interesting in that regard. They take you away from the mundane and into the sacred, and it's in the walking out the door almost that that sacred space starts to exist um, just on the path because the mundane is so very far away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was I, I, that was unexpected for me, and certainly part of the joy. Um, and and maybe that brings me to another thought that um, one of the, uh, another thing you notice, or I noticed on the Camino was lots of people are eager to tell you that they're not religious, right? That that just and yet it. It is very clearly not like walking the Appalachian Trail. Um, it's very distinctly different because there's so many religious symbols everywhere. You don't go very far without seeing, you know, a major cross or some picture of a saint or a church. Um, and I think that I, I saw your face. Brandy made a little face of me. So I'll, I'll let you jump in there because people are walking with purpose on the Appalachian Trail. And certainly it has a spiritual dimension. But it, it is also secular in its presentation. You're in nature. She's making a face good. So I can't, I'll let you answer now. That's good. But that was c- c- kind of obvious difference to me, how imposed those sacred symbols are on the Camino. Yeah, um, I have lots of thoughts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and like one of them that I wanted to kind of talk about earlier um, is the reason I like to talk about pilgrimage with students in introducing um, comparative religions is because um, people go on pilgrimage for so many reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and um There are also lots of really amazing um, first-person accounts of pilgrimages um, throughout um, history and throughout the world. So we can really get a sense of what do everyday people say is important to them and why are they going? Um, And um, I think it's a really nice slice of religious life for students then to see because People are also religious for a variety of religion reasons. Sometimes they're not religious because they believe in God or they are committed to a religion. Um, and sometimes they are on pilgrimage because um, it is just a cool thing to do. Mm-hmm. They're on pilgrimage because it's what their family does. Um, they're on pilgrimage because they are hoping for some sort of experience, but they never find it. Um, and um, or sometimes they are going because they want to um, they, they want the exercise, they want to walk um, and they sort of want that challenge. And all of those reasons are reasons that people who we have identified as pilgrims are telling us why they're doing this religious practice. And so I really want like students to begin to think about um, all of these varieties of reasons why then people are religious. Maybe they are there because they are seeking some sort of spiritual 
psychological or physical healing, and there's lots of examples of that. Um, maybe they're walking it because they are um, fulfilling a promise that they had made. Um, or um, in the case of um, uh, one documentary that I show, um, they're walking a pilgrimage because they want the Broncos to win. <laughs> um, and like that's also like a valid reason and a reason that we as outsiders are sort of researchers and understanding why people um, do religious practice like need to take seriously. We take seriously what um, the religious people are, say that they're doing. Um, rather than trying to impose our own definition of, well, that's not real religion, or you're not really doing the pilgrimage right. Um, but <laughs> Well, I guess what was striking to me was the, the, the almost first thing people would say to me is, I'm not doing this for religious reasons, which you would not, I mean, all the, if you're walking the Appalachian Trail, people aren't saying that to you. So I found that so interesting in the, the, the denial, not of the meaning, but their disassociation almost with the institutionality of it. And they're, uh, I, everybody's walking for a reason, no doubt about that. Um, but I found that just to be a very kind of funny initial statement that yeah. I'm not doing this. Well, and then that also brings up another really interesting question of what's then the difference between pilgrimage and tourism? Mm -hmm. um, and um, so you might, like, it, it would be interesting to see, do the people who start off by um, disavowing a religious identity, are they then embracing a tourist identity? Um, and and there's, there's signs all over the Camino um, that say turismo, and it's a negative. Like, they don't want tourists on there. And there's not a lot of, at least the paths I walked, there were there were not a lot of of selling of merchandise. It was clearly not touristy in that Disney World kind of, you're not bringing home a lot of mementos in terms of T-shirts or little earrings or anything like that. Now, as we got closer to Compostello, those stores started to pop up. But that's an interesting point about it, too. Yeah, what I was wondering was, um, it seems like there's a lot of potentially valid reasons to go on a pilgrimage, but um, are there any, do you think there are any non-valid reasons that would maybe tip someone into that tourist mentality? Like, I have a family member who uh, literally plans vacations, the next vacation while they're on vacation. So I could, I could maybe see that family member going on a pilgrimage and actually being a tourist. <laughs> um, and and it kind of goes into that idea of like people who try to practice mindfulness, but really they're just like thinking really hard the whole time. So are they really practicing mindfulness? I don't know. So I'd love your take on that. Well, so there's a lot of really interesting literature about um, um, this overlay between tourism and pilgrimage. And that's how I like to think about it is that it's a uh, overlap. It's um, not something that has a really clear um, boundary because um, sometimes people that are um, on pilgrimage become tourists and sometimes tourists um, might, might become pilgrims. And so really, like, I think what that question gets to the heart of is why do humans travel? Why do we go someplace else that's not our home? And um, we do that for all sorts of reasons. Um, and sometimes it's to visit um, sites that are sacred to a national heritage. 
Um, sometimes it's to visit family. Um, sometimes it's for our own health and well-being. Um, and are those not also the reasons that people go and historically go on pilgrimage? Um, and so I um, um, don't um, like the idea of like sort of fracturing these two identities when I actually think that they're um, perhaps two halves of one whole. Um, and that in fact, the tourism industry um, informs um, the, the pilgrimage. Um, there's tourist industries for um, all of the major um, world religion sites. Um, and um, there's also then like this narrative of pilgrimage embedded in these places where we go um, for, for recreation. And the national park system is very much anchored in um, ideas of how a person should be in nature and how a person can access the sacred in nature. And transformed by that nature. Yes. I, mean, that ex I think a lot of tourism now that we see is not just about getting away from your life, but having an experience that will shape your life, which sounds extremely religious um, when, you, when you see some of those um, promos for these experiential tourism. And going to the beach maybe and reading, you know, your, your summer reading list is different than, than these sort of quests and, um, you know, vacations that expect you to, to really participate in all kinds of activities, many of which are quite strenuous. No. Um, would I be splitting hairs here if I if I asked if um, you know because I'd be one of those people that'd be on the pilgrimage would be telling you oh, I'm not religious I'm not <laughs> I'm, I'm just here to you know experience it. Um, when when we okay so great example I went to middle of nowhere Ireland and went to what's called the Rock of Cashel because that's where my family's from so I, I took mm -hmm. that quote unquote pil pilgrimage. And, and you're, what I'm kind of hearing is you're attributing that as something as a religious experience as well. Are we sure it's not a religious, like religion is the umbrella term, or is it just meaningful experiences and religious pilgrimages are one of them and visiting the little town your family's from is another one as well? Or is that a chicken or egg kind of thing? So I think it's a chicken or egg sort okay. of thing because um, oftentimes a key reason that people go on undergo meaningful travel um, is for some sort of re reason related to identity. Um, is it a family identity? Is it a larger regional identity? Or is it a national identity? Um, but we can point to all of, uh, like look at examples on all of that um, level. So um, a classic one is a trip to Washington, D.C. Um, that many um, um, school-aged children take that are often sponsored through their school. Um, and um, they um, go to Arlington Cemetery on a regular basis and sort of participate in this um, uh, national ritual of recognizing the um, um, war dead of the United States. Um, and so I would say that that is a pilgrimage of a sort because it's reinforcing um, a particular national identity and connecting students with that heritage. And so 
um, individual then trips to connect um, somebody with their um, ancestral past. Um, that is something that is also really common in um, Native America, um, that um, there's like that sense of going back to the place where your people came from. Um, and that is a key part of um, creating these meaningful experiences and a key part of creating a meaningful identity. And community. And religion does yeah. that regularly, creates community and creates meaning um, around and for that forging of identity is, is one of the things it does really, really well and almost at every turn. And, and certainly the experience on the Camino was that you're walking with in and out of the same people all day long, day after day. So you start to know each other and you have this already common goal and common experience. And so the, the forging of community is really easy. You see them in town and you, you immediately have a sense of belonging and, and commonality. Um, so it's, I think it's really good in that way. Religion does that well and these ritual actions are part of, of that um, that is easy to see, right? Immediately easy to make out. So that that I found very interesting. And and it was I mean you hear about people making these connections, these lifelong friendships. Um I wasn't sure that was you know going to happen, but sure enough, you know, you meet these people and you think, wow, we've had this big experience together and it it is an amazing uh, bond that forms kind of quickly. You know, you you, you would expect it to take longer, but um it doesn't really take that long. I think that suffering together, and certainly on the Camino, um, the religious symbolism is of suffering. So that everywhere you go, you see not just a cross, but a crucifix. Um, a lot of the churches are dedicated to Mary, and it's not it's not at Mary at the manger. It's Mary at the foot of the cross, and Mary with two swords coming out of her, um, building on the, the uh, on the, what do you call it, the um, prediction of Simon that you'll be pierced through the heart. It's in Luke. Um, and so the, the image of suffering is, I mean, one of the little churches, there was a casket and it was clear and purple lighting. And there was a female figure, Our Lady of the Good Death, Every, at every turn, they were suffering. And then you walk out of the church, and there are all these pilgrims with their shoes off and trying to fix their blisters and pulling up their knee braces. And the suffering is just everywhere. <laughs> so the echo of the religious sort of reality? No, is that what I want to say? Or symbolism of suffering or reflection on suffering is reflected in the pilgrims themselves, which was both horrifying, funny, and and just outright kind of surprising that you would see it so graphically displayed. And yet, and I'll just have to add this, and yet everybody was really happy. They were happy to be out there. Um, and 
because you can quit at any time. I mean, you can walk off the trail very easily. Um, so it was this kind of odd mix of religious symbolism, actual suffering, and joy that was certainly you couldn't ignore that that trio, <laughs> that trinity was certainly there. Uh, one follow-up question. Do you think that pilgrimages entail suffering and or pain? Um, because if, if we kind of go back to what we were talking about earlier, how a pilgrimage could be totally in the mind, that, that'd get a little more hairy whether that's you could suffer from that or not. Um, so I'd be curious your thoughts on that. Um, so... I'll back that up with, um, I'd like just say that I think that like one reason that we travel is to sort of um, experience or sort of place ourselves in these uncomfortable settings. Um, I have two children who, like all children, complain um, and especially complain when we're traveling because things are hard and they're suffering and they're like all sorts of things are different. Um, and so my line is to them is when we travel, we travel in order to see what we're made out of um, and to sort of test ourselves. And we're going to experience trials and tribulations. <laughs> um, and that always kind of helps them reset and like, right, so we have trials and tribulations. We can do this. Um, and so I think that that is one component of just in general why humans travel is to sort of, especially in the modern world, to um, put ourselves into these um, situations where we're testing our physical limits and um, maybe just taking ourselves out of our comfort zone um, because we're searching for something. And I don't know what that is. Um, it could be different for every single person, um, especially um, in the modern world. But in, like, a, in, in the world in which pilgrimages became like very large, it was very much within this religious world that um, we're showing um, our devotion to a figure that suffered by suffering ourselves. Um, and so um, I don't know that um, pilgrimage requires, a definition requir um, of pilgrimage requires that element of suffering, uh, but that is often a feature of many um, pilgrimages. And then also with um, a sort of lengthy meditation as a way to um, think about pilgrimage or, and like, this is an example of not suffering. I mean, people that have meditated for long periods of time would perhaps come back and say, actually, that was really hard. And mm -hmm. there was a lot of suffering involved in trying to stay focused on just one thing. Um, so again, like, I think it like is important to sort of take account of what people are saying and how people themselves are making sense of um, their experience in light of um, either this is a religious practice or as um, sort of something else that is perhaps a secular pilgrimage or um, a cultural pilgrimage that we could still use these sort of frameworks of religious studies in order to understand and interpret. It, it, to go back to something we've just kind of touched on, it does seem to be part of human nature as well, this idea that we go to new places, that we're interested in what's out there. I mean, how, how many years ago did our ancestors walk out of Africa, literally walk away from everything they knew? Um, and over and over again in history, in American history certainly, people just left and went out west. 
I, I'm always thinking, like, how bad must life have been for you to just light out for a new place or to go back to the to the pilgrims that were in Plymouth Rock, right, in Jamestown and all those places that were unknown and they just took off, went to someone, some place. It seems to be something that humans do. Yeah, I'm not really sure if I can, like, make that claim that, like, this is something that all humans do, but yep. it's certainly, like, a thing that has been done. Done, right. Um, right. And that... In all cultures, you see that new lands have been inhabited. And so, of course, not all people have done it, but people do it. Yeah, like that sort of mixture of um, um, desperation, um, yeah. like which is definitely certainly a part of an immigrant, some immigrant experiences, um, but also like the promise of um, something better. Um, and so with the the pilgrims and the Puritans that settled Massachusetts, like this idea that they could accomplish the kingdom of God on earth. Um, that was such a um, attractive idea that even though the death rate of those colonies in the early years was over 50%, um, that was still something that they were willing to get on the boat for. I mean, we see them walking up from Guatemala and Nicaragua. I mean, people are walking thousands of miles with the young children and their families to get to the shining city on the hill, which is America. I mean, those those pilgrimages are very, very present in our world and our and, conversation. And I, I, I'm, I'm kind of resisting the idea of thinking about um, that that type of immigration as being a pilgrimage, but I think it's kind of curious why um, I would want to resist that. And I think perhaps like maybe one thing is is that it's not a round trip journey, mm -hmm. um, and um, um, but is it sacred? Um, there was a really fantastic article about um, a scholar who participated in the project of leaving water um, behind in the, the desert for um, migrants so that they wouldn't um, like die of dehydration. Um, and like thinking about those objects of, um, of the water as being these um, holy sites, like as being um, this place where religion is happening in this plastic water bottle. And so um, that she was using this lens of um, sort of grace and a community coming and helping um, the people that were on a journey um, as a form of religious practice. And um, um, is that not the same as the um, people historically that had supported um, Muslims on Hajj um, that are feeding and clothing and giving water um, to support then this journey to Mecca um, or um, any other pilgrimage where the locals do support then the pilgrims. Um, and so um, we might think about that through the lens of pilgrimage, but there also seems to be some sort of, at, at least there's not a statelessness that's associated with people that are on pilgrimage. Um, like there's a home that they can go back to um, whereas the people that are migrating um, from Latin America, um, it's questionable whether or not they have a home um, to go back to. Yeah. 
Although often they are supporting, they are going to be sending money back. I mean, often they will be, their, their, their families will be still there. And in a sense, they are returning home in that way. I, I guess you could think of it in, in that sense. Um, but that is a major difference, of course. Um, but it, it's an expansive term for sure. Yeah. Um, well, so another um, uh, site that I like to teach is um, a, a shrine in Miami that um, was constructed by Cuban immigrants um, and um, is for Our Lady of Charity. Um, and um, that shrine became a way to um, connect them back with uh, imagined Cuba, a Cuba that um, doesn't exist currently, but is the Cuba that would exist with prior to the Castro revolution. Um, and so in that sense, that is a sacred place that was constructed by um, political refugees um, as being a place to um, um, connect them back to home and connect um, them back to this idea of home that, again, no longer exists, at least for them. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is very interesting. And right in St. Augustine, you have the Shrine of Our Lady of La Leche, and and you have, of course, the Fountain of Youth, which <laughs> is another kind of shrine. Um, but, uh, I mean, those are certainly within a certain cultural setting of Catholicism, which is that, that kind of site is expected and familiar and um, so it's not really surprising that that would develop, right, this, this perfected place. Well, Brandy, I thank you so much for coming on because this was really fun for me to think about, and, um, and I'm so glad to have you back on, so thank you. Um, I usually ask, I don't know if I prepped you for this, uh, you know what's coming? No. no. Um, I, I often end by asking um, for you to recount a time when you maybe ruined dinner. Um, and, and maybe that's... Or how would you? Or, or yeah. how would you like... Yeah, we can put it, how would you like to ruin dinner? Yeah, how would you like to do it? Yeah. When did you destroy dinner just physically or through conversation? If you, I, I should have prepped you for it, and I'm sorry. And if you don't have one off the top of your head, that's fine, too. Oh, man. I mean, there have been plenty of times when I have physically ruined yeah. dinner that I was responsible for cooking. Um, and really, like... It's like so often that um, I don't really have any notable experience. Um, <laughs> to, to, to you tell. never made your mother cry at the dinner table. Um, but I mean, like, like if I were to um, ruin dinner, <laughs> like if I were to ruin Thanksgiving dinner, for example, with my wide extended family, I would say, so. How did you all vote in oh. 2020? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah, we can all. Sometimes yep. you you say something not even meaning to start that conversation. You don't even have to be intentional, and that gets. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a hard one. Yeah. That's a hard one. Well, I, again, thank you very much for thank coming. You. Yeah, thanks for having great. me.